Hey everybody, it's Eduardo Jackson, creator, founder, CEO of the Cinema Draft Game. Welcome back. This is going to be a somewhat of a micropod. It's going to, have to go over some quick movie reviews of movies I've seen recently, as well as address the call sheets that have been submitted for this weekend, <clears throat> and seeing how you know those two may tie together as far as the quality of movies with their box office performance and also kind of take a, a glance towards the weekend ahead and offer you know see if we can predict the future <clears throat> it's gonna be me solo today uh on this rainy day in the las vegas valley and just wanted to go over a few movies that I've seen so uh, the most recent movie I've seen last night after theater lock was triple X and my God, or the, the triple X sequel return of Xander cage. And that movie is terrible. Now I'm now, obviously we don't have high standards for a movie like this. I mean, it's not, you know, you're not going there to see, you know, fences or whatever. And the original triple X, I thoroughly enjoyed. I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. It was fun. Uh, Irreverent is kind of like you know James Bond meets Extreme Sports, which is kind of the way they pitch it. Rob Cohen was the was the creator and the director of that whole thing, and it was I mean it was a great time. This movie is just a hot mess. Um, it's I mean as much as scripts as little as scripts matter in movies like this, the script was terrible. Um, it's gonna suffer when it comes to word of mouth because I can't imagine anyone you know seriously recommending it. It's just it's just bad. It's just bad all around. So. It just is what it is. I was I was a little disappointed. I will say this though, as I did see it in D box, which is an exciting uh, format for viewing action movies. Basically, it's where they have the the movie seat you're sitting in synced to the action, so that it shifts and moves uh, to the action. So like if there's an explosion, you feel like a rumble in your seat. If you're in a plane and the plane banks to the left, your seat kind of turn you know banks the left itself it's really really fun way to watch movies um so this is actually this is kind of the ultimate d-box movie but i mean it really has nothing else going for it i mean like i said scripts really don't matter that much in formats like these but even for a format like this the script is just abysmal oh my god it's just it's wooden performance after wooden performance no one seems to be enjoying themselves really except May, of course, Samuel Jackson, that guy has a good time wherever he goes. So that was truly a terrible movie, <laughs> sad to say. And I did see a couple movies back-to-back -to -back today. The first one, and, and these are a contrast in styles to an extent. And when I say contrast in styles, I mean, so, so I saw Sleepless and Patriot's Day back-to-back. -back. Now, Sleepless, now that, when I say these, these are... While they're contrasting styles, they're they're basically following the same theme, and this is using the using the city it's located in as a secondary character, as as, as like a secondary lead. And I kind of tend to like movies like that where the city becomes like a rich character adding to the backdrop of whatever's going on. And in Sleepless, this was filmed in Vegas. It it very famously is flaunting a lot of Vegas, you know. Uh, a lot of Vegas locales and locations. It's, I, I believe, and we mentioned this in the earlier podcast with Jay Devlin, I believe that there's like some sort of tax credit <clears throat> that got re-upped or passed or strengthened by the Nevada legislature to bring more films to, to Nevada. So this is, I mean, I can't imagine any other reason why this movie exists <laughs> to exploit that tax credit. It's all over Vegas. And they paint Vegas, you know, like 
you know, most people are think of Vegas as to an extent as, you know, this, this kind of seamy city, sin city is it's, you know, promoted nickname or whatever. And, and Vegas revels in it, you know, Vegas is chamber of commerce with probably one of the most, probably one of the top 10, if not top five marketing slogans of all time. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's, I, I can't remember if that was originated by the chamber of commerce, but it's definitely been promoted heavily by the chamber of commerce. And, and so there's, it's always interesting when people try to take on Vegas as a city, because the Vegas that they promote tends to be organized, you know, largely on the Strip or downtown, Fremont Street. And, you know, the, the, the glitzier, well, the Strip is obviously the, the glitzy things where you have, like, all your big casinos, you know, the wind properties, city center, whatever. This one centers, this one is kind of a combination of, of uh, action, thriller, whatever, Yes, this is a combination of like a of like a, a a dirty cop story set inside of a casino. So it's kind of like Die Hard meets you know Dirty Cops, or whatever. And that that part is kind of interesting. You know, using figuring out all the ways they can use a casino. And casinos are mini cities at this point. If you haven't been to a Vegas casino, I highly recommend it. Uh, yeah, I guess my top five, you know, in, in descending order: the Cosmo, the Aria, uh, the Win. Bellagio and maybe I don't know Caesars, Mandalay Bay is pretty good. I don't know. That, that's probably like my top five hotel stays. The Cosmo is just the top. I mean, that's uh, I won't derail this podcast, but I love the Cosmo. I'd love to live in there for like a year just to say that I did. But Sleepless is basically like Die Hard inside of a casino, which is interesting. Uh, which is it's an interesting conceit. Written by Andrea Burloff. she uh, was one of the writers behind uh, Straight Outta Compton. Which is interesting. I actually read a script of Straight Outta Compton before, uh, uh, before while I was in production, whatever. You know, and it, it, was, it was okay. Uh, I think the direction and the, and the performance really took that one to the top. But I think here nor there, this is a fairly generic cop movie, Sleepless. Um, it's very predictable. You could see the, you know, these things sticking out like a mile away, but I do like the aspect of it being kind of like diehard in a casino with all the different levels and varying ecosystems that exist inside of a big Vegas casino. This one, they call it the Luxus and they have cleverly, in my estimation as a Vegas local, uh, uh, they have cleverly built you know, fictionally built the Luxus in the middle of city center on the site of what should have been uh, uh, another hotel. I can't remember what the name was going to be, but they, I think they called it the Harmon. Uh, there was a hotel which was, I think, like two, uh, a third of the way or halfway through production, whatever, and they had to end up scrapping it. It sat as like a, a, a rusty or empty uh, hulk on the strip in the city center. City center was, is this uh, organization about five or six different hotels and casinos, the Aria, the Cosmo, uh, the Mandarin Oriental, and the Veer. And the Harmon was, I believe, the fifth of the city center hotels or, or casinos, condos that never got finished because they had famously had structural defects. Like they got like a third or, or halfway done with this project had structural defects. They couldn't, you know, finish it. So they eventually had to demolish it. So it was like kind of like this gaping hole in the city center, which actually you can't really quite see. It's shielded pretty well by the Cosmo and the Aria and the other hotels. But there's a hole where a hotel is supposed to be. And so they built fictionally this Luxus in the middle of or in on the spot where the Harmon should have been. So I thought that was pretty, you know, clever, uh, I guess, geography slash topography by the filmmakers. But otherwise, you know, it's it's a 
it's it's not terrible. I'd give this two reels out of four in my infamous the real deal four reel rating system. We don't do halves, no half reels. Uh, so I give this two out of four. It's not terrible. Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. That's a terrible movie. That gets one reel, and it only gets the one reel because it is very Devox friendly. This is get this gets two reels. I mean, it had its moments, but it's thoroughly utterly predictable. Um, Michelle Monaghan actually has some some fire to her performance, and Jamie Foxx is all right. I mean, he he does this thing. He you know like like we opined in a previous podcast, uh, Jay Devlin and I. This is probably probably one of his uh, one of his last hurrahs before hitting fifty, <laughs> and he still has like the you know the somewhat physique to kind of carry off an action film like this. Because actually, I will say this. Actually, then let me then let me not sh- you know. I give it short shrift. It has really good stage combat sequences. Uh, a few people know I actually have a drama degree uh, from Spelman. Took all my class. Sorry, from a drama degree from Morehouse College, but took all my drama classes at Spelman. And also, I did one year in the professional actors program at the Paul Theater School MFA program. Uh, and I took a stage combat class, and that was really, really interesting and fun. And so I kind of look at. Uh, at these things through a different lens when it comes to like fight scenes because it's all choreography. It's very you know <clears throat> they're they're very well rehearsed dances and when I see like really good you know fight choreography, I like to point it out. So Sleepless has really good fight choreography. You know fairly inventive, very physical. You know very kind of makes you you know cringe in your seat a little bit. And I kind of wish this movie had been set to D box because uh, this would have been a really good D box movie for fight sequences. So I saw Sleepless, and then I followed that up with Patriots Day. That's the one taking on the Boston, you know, marathon bombing. Like what, three years? You know, four, less less than four years, whatever. After it happened, um, so some people might scream too soon. This is done by Peter Berg. Peter Berg teaming up again with Mark Wahlberg. And one thing we have learned is we do not doubt Peter Berg, or you know, especially when teams with Mark Wahlberg, because they also delivered to us uh, late last year. Uh, Deepwater Horizon, which I also thought was a little too soon, uh, and I wasn't, you know, I was going into it with really low expectations, and I came out of there damn near crying. He just, I mean, Peter Berg, this is kind of like his brand, his hallmark, taking recent, you know, uh, uh, recent real-life events, dramatizing them effectively, and making you give a damn, and he delivers again in this. This is, this is, for all intents and purposes, this is a really good, if not excellent movie, that I have no desire to watch again. It's, just, it's, a, it's a tough hang. It is a tough watch. Uh, I mean, with the with the the horrors of the bombing, uh, they they do a really good job of humanizing a lot of the key players leading up to it and afterwards. Um, they they do have a really interesting. Uh, part with the afterwards where Kevin Bacon's character comes in as Rick Delorier. He's the CIA, or no, sorry, FBI agent in charge after the bombing happened. Uh, and he brings in this whole other kind of side to the, to, to the investigation, which we don't really have gotten to see as the general public where they take over like a warehouse, you know, on, you know, on the pier or something and just basically have like a huge, you know, uh, command center to track down this, to track that, to track down uh, these fugitives, and and then you see, then it gets to do a really interesting drama of like you know interagency cooperation or non-cooperation, and Mark Wahlberg's character is a composite of several uh, of several uh, people who actually you know did 
work on on the case is uh, he's composited into a Boston cop who's kind of at the center of it all, who's you know relentless, relentlessly hunting down uh, these these uh, uh, the I would say fugitives, you know, the, the 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 bombers. You know these. You know one was really a kid. He was like I think a nineteen year old. Uh, he was a nineteen year old uh, a student, and then his older brother, who really was like the driving force behind it, who ultimately was you know. Uh, killed just in a ridiculous gun battle. I mean, obviously they're gonna over dramatize some of the gun battles, whatever. But I did, I do remember hearing about it. It did go down. I mean, it just got. They were going. They they were prepared for war. It was pretty bad. Uh, I think the part I liked most about it was the Chinese immigrant who had started an app. His English wasn't great, but um, he, you know, he was carjacked by uh, uh, by the Sarnayev brothers. Those were the the, the bombers and. And it was really interesting seeing his story leading up to the carjacking and then what finally it was that made him, you know, run. And he basically was like, fuck these guys, you know, you know, get these guys, you know, damn if they're going to, you know, take my truck and kill me. Because he worked really hard for this truck. He was very proud of this truck that he bought with that, with it the money that he earned from creating this uh, this food delivery app and he it, he was he was very he was a very cool compelling character i i mean it, it's it's a good movie i can't say it's an enjoyable movie it's it's just a tough watch i have zero desire to ever see it again but it is good to experience at least once and this and and going back to the original theme of these these reviews is that it, this is this also really heavily relies upon a city being a character because i mean to outsiders we've heard stories how boston is just you know ah they talk like this and the red Sox and you know go, you know, go to the car and you know fuck you and all sorts of stuff but it, it i mean as as shepherded by a boston native you know marky mark mark Wahlberg. i mean you know they, they it seems to be that is truly the attitude of that town they're very much about I mean, well, fuck is like just like another, you know, it's just like it's just like another word in in their vocabulary that would, the one they all go to. They're they're very much, you know, uh, proud to be uh, uh, to be from Boston, Massachusetts, and they stand their ground. And then it seems like you know the, the city's character as a whole is just kind of tough nosed and like and ready to help and willing to protect its own. And so this seemed more apropos of a of a movie as far as relaying the character of a city as an additional character in, a, in the movie. Like this one, this one felt more authentic than say the one in Sleepless. Whereas Sleepless, well, I did concentrate on, on the strip and and kind of the seamy side of Vegas. And there was a seamy side, you know, they really didn't, I mean, as much as, as or as little as the city does have a cohesive culture or what have you, like I can't say having lived here off and on for five years, I can't say I've discovered or even really figured out what it, what the, collective sense of the city of Las Vegas is. But I will tell you this, once you get outside the strip, I mean, it might as well be Marietta, Georgia. It's like any other kind of, you know, small town or suburbanish type town where, you know, where things close at 10 and, and midnight, you know, it's not up all night. It's just the strip and parts of, you know, downtown that are 24 seven and very visitor friendly. The actual city of Las Vegas is just fairly normal, you know, I mean, fairly boring and normal with the exception of a very booming, uh, you know, strip club, escort, sugar, daddy, baby business. But that's neither here nor there. Anyways, I really feel like Patriots Day, as an outsider, I've only been to Boston once or twice. I think only once, really. As an outsider, uh, it really seems like this movie captures the spirit 
and the ethos of Boston. And so, so I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little surprised it hasn't done as well as I thought it would. Patriots Day did. It's kind of a crowded marketplace, but it's worth, you know, it's worth your while. It's worth seeing. And it'll probably, you know, it'll probably be one of those movies that'll kind of like Deepwater Horizon did, where I believe it stayed in the top 10 for about you know, eight to 10 weeks. It'll probably stay in the top 10 for a while as people slowly discover this movie. It's a, it's a really good movie. It's just a tough hang. Okay, so those are the movies that I've seen recently. Oh, and also Jackie. I'm just gonna skip over Jackie. Jackie was just was just a little too, let's say, self-important. But I didn't really, I didn't love the movie. Like it, it has all the hallmarks, which should be a really good movie. It's got a really strong central performance by Natalie Portman, of course. It just doesn't deliver uh, the way it. Uh, I mean, the movie overall is just is just drowned under a soundtrack, under a, a, a musical score, which is just not as good as it thinks it is. It's just too much. Uh, if you know, and, and, and speaking of musical scores uh, out there, I believe is Hans Zimmer's. Um, I guess Hans Zimmer's like greatest hits, like remixed. Get that. Love Hans Zimmer. I want Hans Zimmer, if he's still alive, to to play at my funeral. I want Hans Zimmer to, to be the soundtrack to my life. He's done the scores from Crimson Tide, Gladiator, uh, Interstellar, Inception. I mean, all your best favorite scores, he's probably done them. Check that out, Hans Zimmer. He's the best. But yeah, but Jack used to have a case where the score is just overused and drowns out the actual kind of drama. Although Natalie Portman does does deliver an Oscar nomination-worthy performance. Okay. And, and then oh, movies I'm looking forward to seeing, hopefully over the weekend, The Founder, Split, and Manchester by the Sea. Okay. So let's take a look at some of these call sheets, people. All right. A little slow week, it looks like. Uh, I'm not sure if people are, are hung up on the inauguration or whatever, but uh, we have some more usual suspects. Take a look at Jay Devlin. Jay Devlin's call sheet this week. Looks like, oh, he is heavy on split. Okay. So he's got a one, two, three, four, five. He's got a six-pack of split with the two headliners. Uh, and this might be the winning call sheet right now. I mean, he took advantage of, of some possibly spotty uh, uh, valuations with split starting at 12000 going up to thirteen five for James McAvoy's your headliner. And he pretty much just maxed that out. He got he got six people from Split, which is rumored to be about twenty million in gross this weekend. And after seeing Triple X, I mean Triple X is going to flop and it's going to flop hard. There will be no word of mouth in that movie. It is a terrible movie. Uh, I'm so ashamed that I even that I even thought that I had a shot. I'm mad at myself. I wish I'd I wish I still lived in L.A. where I used to get. Uh, advanced screenings for some of these films. Then I could have seen it early and known it was going to be terrible. But uh, good job, Jay Devlin. He's totally fading. Triple X. He's got a six-pack of split. He's he probably is just punting in the limited release range with uh, the resurrection of Gavin Stone. Uh, and because it's all they're cheap. Those are only fifty-three hundred each for those headliners. Uh, he squeezed in Patterson for his mandatory uh, platform release at the stone minimum of five thousand. Which and that allowed him to get one more headliner in uh a, to get a headliner in Patriots Day. That's an interesting call sheet. I love the strategy. He's maximizing the potential split. Basically, this is your prototypical stars and scrubs lineup, where he filled up on as many stars as he could afford, going with six splits and just filled in the rest. So I like your call sheet, Jay Devlin. I wish you luck, good sir. Okay, who else we got here? Uh, the Roan, welcome back. Uh, let's see what his 
his call she looks like real quick longtime friend of the game <clears throat> and he he uh did a headliner stack of triple x headliner stack of split headliner stack of patterson headliner stack of the founder and did uh and basically just use the rest of his budget with uh, a two-pack of the resurrection of Gavin Stone. This is what this is. All right, so let's coin a phrase here right now. This is what I'm going to call a Noah's Ark uh, call sheet. He's got two of two. He's got like a male and female each. He's got two Van Xander Cage, two splits, two Patterson, two founders, and two Gavin Stone. He's got a Noah's Ark here. So very interesting. I like your Noah's Ark uh, a construction, although I'm not sure it's going to be the winning call sheet, but we'll we'll take a look. We'll see. I, I think that Xander Cage is going to underperform, and now that we see how bad the movie is and how badly we think it's going to perform, it's probably overvalued at twenty thousand and eighteen thousand nine hundred each for Vin Diesel and Samuel L. Jackson, respectively, as your headliners. But I like seeing that we're coining a phrase: your Noah's Ark. Like it. Uh, let's take a look at my call sheet. Not very impressive because I do have exposure to Xander Cage. So my theory behind this was that Xander Cage is going to do something. It's my bad. Uh, I have a headliner stack of Split. I have a headliner stack of La La Land. I think the hidden value is going to be La La Land because if we do recall from weekend or from last weekend, you know it, you know, kind of went bonkers. We'll we'll look at the four days. The four days for La La Land were just ridiculous. It's on 1,848 screens. Uh, it's I mean, it's averaging almost 10,000 a screen, 17.7 million. So let's do the math. I have a calculator here handy, right? If you have 17.7, you're basically getting one point per 500,000 in the limited release category. So that's 17.7 times two. You're getting 35.4 points for for an actor in that movie. And if you go for the headliners, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, you're getting almost 50 points, 50 points per head, per headliner. So I, I'm thinking if it, even if it drops, so it increased like by a bunch of screens. And I think it increased to, Oh, what, let's see. What was the screen count for this one this week? Yeah. So it only increased by another 20 screens. So it's still, it's at the upper end of limited, I don't know, man. I, if it if it drops even down to 15 million, you know, uh, on this, you know, for the weekend, for the for the three weekend frame, whatever. Or let, let's just let's be concerned. Let's say it drops down to 12 million. 12 million times two is 24 times 1.4. Your headliner stack. So you're still looking at 33.6. To me, I'm thinking that's going to be a really cost effective way to spend your money. So law, so I, I want to get that headliner stack there for a potential 34, 35 points each. Uh, silence expands to almost 1,600 screens, and I and even though it is a three-hour movie, which cuts down which cuts down on, on the amount of runs a movie can have on a day, which might bite into its potential box office. Still, I think the curiosity is high for this movie. I'm actually curious about this movie. I'm gonna add that to my list this weekend. Although at nearly three hours, it might just be you know it it, it might be a one-off for me. The silence, uh, and then I just kind of had to fill in the blanks. Uh, I didn't have much money left, so I kind of punted with two L's right there. So I have a three pack of silence. Uh, I love La La Land, which I could have gotten more of it. It's just too expensive. I have the headliner stack of split, and then we have Xander Cage. Uh, what other call sheets want to take a look at? Let's take a look at Cornell Westside. See what his thinking is this week. And you know, I'm gonna see if we can get him back on the podcast soon. Get his get his thoughts on stuff as our W 
<laughs> as our WWW thing. Um, so this is interesting, the founder. So it looks like something must have changed, but it, it looks like his, his call sheet still went through. We had, uh, it's interesting to see, we might have, might have had an update unexpectedly, but it looks like he's got, um, he looks like he's missing a platform release, but you know, that's a system error. We'll let it, we'll let it slide. And it looks like he has a little bit of everything. He's got, he's got a couple founder. He's got a headline from 20th century women. That's interesting. Um, let's see what else. Uh, split, hidden figures, Xander Cage. This looks like he's trying to cover all his bases. So we'll see how that performs for Cornell West Side, who has been steadily improving. We appreciate it. And last one we'll take a look at this week will be Gamble 24-7, who just missed the deadline last week. This week it looks like he's on top of it. It looks like he's got... The headliner stack from Split, headliner stack from La La Land. Oh, two more from Split. Very cool. Looks like Lion is still in there. That's interesting. Didn't know we still had that in our database. Um, he's got the headliner from Lion, the founder, Silence, headliners, and then also Adam, it looks like he's got a back-to-back -back of Adam Driver. Uh, Adam Driver in Silence is a headliner, and Adam Driver as a headliner in Patterson for his obligatory uh, release type pick. So good job to everyone who played. Appreciate your support. Uh, check your email box and social media through the weekend for updates on how your your games and call sheets are doing. Tell your friends. Go to cinemadraft.co. That is cinemadraft.co to sign up for the free beta. You can find us also on all social media platforms: Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, Pinterest, Google+, all that good stuff. Our corporate blog is at medium.com slash at cinemadraft. Uh, also, check out our YouTube channel if you're not watching this. And also, subscribe to our podcast. Good luck to everybody this week. And looking forward to seeing who's the winner on Monday.